0: Well, welcome to week 28 of our Believe series as we unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. Hard to believe, just a couple more weeks and we'll be finished with our series. As we learn what it means to think and to act and to be, to become more like Jesus. The characteristics that we know Jesus has peace, love, truth, etc., that we would have those in our own lives. That we would live in such a way that people would look at us and that they would be able to see some of Jesus in us. That's our goal. It's been said that actions speak louder than words, and I think that that that's true. You all know it to be true in your own life. Someone can tell you something ten times, a hundred times, but if their actions say the opposite to you, then you don't believe what they say. You believe what they do. And so... One of the most serious things that we as Christians have got to do is we have got to put together what we say we believe with how we behave, and the two have got to match. And when they don't match, we've got a problem. We've got hypocrisy like the Pharisees. Or we have some other problem. And so this series, as we've walked through how to think, that's the believing portion. Transfers into how we live our lives, how we act, which transfers into what we are becoming. The, the habits that you guys have in your life, you know, some of you might wonder, how does a person do what they do? And it's because they've probably created habits. You take 30 or 45 days of doing something, and it will become a habit to you. When you first learn to drive a car, you, uh, you think very consciously about each thing. Make sure I put my foot on the, the gas instead of the brake. Right, Peter? Yeah? Uh, make sure I put it in, in drive and, and not reverse. Or make sure it's not in neutral. Right? All these different things. Are my headlights on? How, how do I turn off the windshield wipers? I don't remember. All these things. Right? But after a while, when you've been driving the car, you don't think about any of it. Yep. All right? None of it. You literally jump in the car, and you're backing out of the driveway, and you don't recall doing a thing. And that's how it is. It becomes a habit. We want to become faithful servants of God. We want that to become a habit. And today we're looking at the idea of faithfulness. What does it mean in our lives? What does faithfulness look like? As the Holy Spirit's working inside of our lives, and we become more like Jesus, and we have the faithfulness, the character of faithfulness that... Jesus has. So what is faithfulness? Well, there's two words that kind of come to mind when we think about faithfulness. The first one is reliability. Okay? If something is faithful or someone is faithful, they're reliable. You can trust them. You can count on them. When they say they're going to be there, they're there. Otherwise, they're not reliable. They're unfaithful. And so... As we go through our message this morning, I want you to think about that as one of the aspects. Are we reliable? Old Faithful is not the largest geyser in Yellowstone National Park, nor does it reach the greatest height. But it is by far the most popular one. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about this water that shoots up out of the ground. called Old Faithful. You know why it's called Old Faithful? Because it does it all the time it's reliable so it's not the the biggest one it's not the tallest one it doesn't shoot the water the highest but why do people always go to be, view that one because they know it's going to shoot it's water and that's what they want to see what does this look like the water shooting up out of the ground right you don't want to go and stand there all day and it never does its magic right so they go to a faithful because it's what it's reliable that's right The other aspect that we think of with faithfulness is the idea of loyalty. Loyalty. The idea that you're committed. That's that's what faithfulness means. A young man in the army confided to his padre that he never went about with another girl if he was within 50 miles of home. Now think about that for a minute. So he didn't cheat on his girlfriend if he was within 50 miles of home. But if he was more than 50 miles, then... It cheated. It was okay, right? So how far did this guy's loyalty go? 50 miles. That's how far his loyalty went, 50 miles. How far does your loyalty go? All the way, All the way is what we want, right? We don't want 50-mile loyalty, right? Melissa doesn't want me to be loyal just 50 miles, right? So if I'm out of the state, I don't have to be loyal, faithful, reliable, right? She don't want that. I don't want that, right? All the way. Jesus doesn't want that either. So reliability and loyalty. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61, it says, Let your heart be completely devoted. Is that 50-mile loyalty? Yeah. No, that's what? That's 100% loyalty. That's all the time loyalty. Uh, completely devoted to the Lord and our God to walk in His statutes and to keep His commands as it is today. King Asa, in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 3, he said, Please, Lord, remember how I walked before you. What's the next word? Faithful. Faithfully. Faithfully. And wholeheartedly, did he say 50 percent? No, he said 100 percent, wholeheartedly, and have done what pleases you. Who are you trying to please? Now well, that's the right answer. I heard you say it. So that means we got the right belief. Now we need to match that up with our what? Actions, our behavior. Our belief and our behavior have got to come together and match. Asa understood that. He understood the hard work of having that faithfulness. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Wrap them around the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. What is he saying? What do you mean, tie it around your neck? You're supposed to choke yourself? Is Is this a noose? We're hanging ourselves with it? He means keep it as close as possible. He means be faithful. He means don't ever stop being reliable and loyal, especially to God. Loyalty is a great concern to God. Some of you might think, ah, it's no big deal, really. No, loyalty is a great concern to God. Loyalty to Him and to His truth and to His kingdom and to His mission and His purpose. Most of which we're going to talk about today. Perhaps no better illustration of loyalty is found in the Old Testament than in the story of Solomon. Back in the Old Testament, for, for just a minute, minute here, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and verse 9, it says this. It's not going to be on your screen, so just listen. It says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. What kind of heart? Oh. That means 100%. That's not 50 mile. That's 100% faithfulness. Here is instruction from David the father, to Solomon, his son. And he said, serve him with a whole heart. Serve him with loyalty. Be loyal to God, to his nature, to his will, to his purpose. In uh, chapter 29 of First Chronicles, verse 19, a prayer is given, and the prayer is this. Give to my son Solomon a perfect heart, or a, a loyal heart, to keep his commandments. David understands this. David wants Solomon to have this heart this loyal heart, this faithfulness. So look at Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We've looked at this verse in the past. It's a good verse on faithfulness. Your whole being is tied up with this. Not part of you, all of you. So what I want to look at first today is the fact that God is faithful. All right? When we look at these characteristics, these... These aspects that come from the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians and the, that show all through the, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It starts with the character of God. And so God is faithful. In Deuteronomy 7 9, it says, Know that Yahweh your God is God. The faithful God. What kind of God? Faithful. faithful. The faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty. Oh, there's the other word loyalty. Faithfulness and loyalty. Same verse. For a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. What does God do? He is loyal and faithful. Now, this is interesting. Because God is faithful. He's loyal, but he's loyal and faithful to his own people. As they do what? Keep his his commands. Which is really saying, as they're loyal and faithful to who? To him. Now, if you know the Bible story at all, you know that many, many times God's people were not loyal and faithful to him. And he had to discipline them. He had to teach them that it was not a good idea to do that, that it was wrong to do that. But God is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, that's God, who promised, is faithful. Now, God is faithful is kind of a general statement. And so I want to talk this morning about some specific areas that God is faithful to. God is faithful to, first off, his person. Okay? God is faithful to his person. So you have fill in the blanks today. All right? We've got something new for you. So the first one is God is faithful to his person. Now when we say he's faithful to his person, we're referring to God being faithful and loyal and consistent, get this, with who? with who he is, his character. This means that God can't do something that would not match who he is. Now let me go back to what I said a few minutes ago with you and me. We have beliefs and we have behaviors. They're supposed to match up, but sometimes what? They don't. With God, that never happens. See, God is faithful to his person. That means he's faithful to who he is. Which is why the scripture tells us that God never lies. Because to lie would be contrary to who God is. So God can't lie, actually. Because if he lied, then his behavior wouldn't match the belief or the character of who he is. Are you with me on this? And so God's actions, his character, always matches what you see in scripture and everywhere else. God is one. In uh, Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man who lies or a son of a man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? And these are rhetorical questions. The answer is no, he doesn't. If God promises, like we read earlier, his covenant faithfulness, his covenant loyalty, he said to the Israelites, I will put you in the promised land. Did he do it? He did. He said he would provide a way of salvation through a Messiah. Did he? He did through Jesus. So see, God doesn't lie. And so because he's never lied in any of those things, when he says that Jesus will come back, we can trust that what? He will because he never lies. And he's faithful and he's loyal. In other words, the very character of God is such that by his nature, he tells the truth and doesn't lie. Now, is that our nature when we're born? No. We're born as little liars. I know that sounds harsh. But do you have to keep, teach a kid how to lie or tell the truth? Yeah. Because we all are born being able to lie, aren't we? It's just natural for some reason. You know why? Because we're born broken. This is why we need Jesus. We're born broken. You walk in. The cookie jar is empty. There's crumbs all over the little kid's face. You say, did you eat the cookies? And what's the little kid say? Nope. No? Wasn't me. Probably still got something in his mouth, right? No, we don't need to teach them how to lie. We need to teach them the truth, which is why we gather together and study God's word. It's why we need each other in our lives to encourage but also even to confront each other when we're not living up to what God says. When we say we're a Christian belief and our behavior doesn't match it, someone needs to call us on that, right? You say, no, I don't want anyone to call me on that, Kevin. You know what? When someone doesn't call you on it, it means they don't love you. And if that continues, you end up having discipline from God like the Israelites did in the 40 years of wilderness. You want the serpents? Or do you want someone to come alongside you and say, let's fix this. Your behavior is not matching your belief. Loyalty matters to God. The character of God. Think about different things in your life. It's like, character. What what does this mean, Kevin? This character stuff. Character has to do with what something is like. A piece of wood has a different character than a piece of steel. If you take a hammer and you bang on a piece of wood, eventually it's going to start denting. Even if it's really hardwood, eventually it'll start getting dense. Now, even wood has different characteristics. Some wood, like pine, will start to um, have dings in it from the hammer very quickly. But you know, pine is actually one of the strongest woods. Uh, from what I've heard, when it is going lengthwise. So it's kind of soft, but lengthwise it's very strong, so it's used a lot. In other woods, like in oak, oak trees, they, they make wood out of them. That's very hard wood. Wood, but different character, right? So steel has a different character, right? Characteristic. So steel is, normally it's harder than wood, right? Yeah. So you got different characteristics from different things, alright? So when we're talking about ourselves or something else, you have a tiger, you have a spider. Are they the same? Do they have the same characteristics? No, they don't. Now you might run from both, just depends on who you are, alright, and how big the spider is, probably. But they're not the same, right? So tigers have a certain set of characteristics. Spiders have another set of characteristics. Spiders have how many legs? Eight. How many do tigers have? Four. Four. Okay? Who's got a bigger tongue? Tigers. Tiger. Who's got stripes? Tigers, but spiders could, right? Depends on the spider, right? So they got different characteristics, right? So you got to know these things, and you do know these things automatically, actually, to some degree. You know that uh, that is a tree, and that is a speaker. Why? Because you know the characteristics. Sound comes out of that, but not a tree right except for when it's blowing in the wind or falls over in the ground right exactly all right so what you expect of god is based on his character or your understanding of his character what we see in scripture is that god never deviates from his character you and i sometimes do as children of god for instance we're not supposed to sin but what's the truth of the matter yeah we sometimes do and every time we deviate or stray from god's character that's what we're doing So one way of looking at sin is actually this. Learn who God is. Learn the character of God. And when you do something that doesn't match up with the character of God, guess what? That's sin. Because remember, think, act, and be. God's trying to make us more like who? That's right, him. Jesus, who is the incarnate exact representation of God himself. So when we become more like Jesus, we're becoming more like God. So we need God's help. Okay, and that's why he is so trustworthy. He's faithful. There's no cracks. There's no gaps. There's no fakes. There's no posing in who God is. God is faithful to His person, but God is also faithful to His purpose. God is faithful to His purpose. Purpose has to do with what God is all about. You're, you wonder, well, what is God up to? Okay, yeah, He's got character. He, he He is who He is, but He's also doing something in the world, and He's faithful to what He's doing. His purpose what he wants done, why he created everything. At some point, you've got to wonder, like, why are we here? Well, why is the earth here? Like, what is going on? If God really exists, what's he doing? Well, read the Bible, you'll find out what he's doing, but I'll give you a little bit of insight today. God has a plan for his creation, which he is certainly going to accomplish. It is carried out through the control of circumstances and his choices and uses of people, and above all, in the life, death, resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus. So when you look at God's purpose, what's his purpose? What's he doing? It goes all the way back to Genesis, and it goes all the way to the other side of the Bible to the end of Revelation. God's purpose. He has a plan for his creation. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have purposed, so it will be. As I have planned it, so it will happen. In other words... If God says it, it's going to happen, right? When God makes a plan, is the plan going to happen? Yes, Yes, it is. Which is why elsewhere in Scripture we're actually told that God had planned for Jesus to come actually even before Adam and Eve. That's weird to us, but see, God already knew that we were going to sin. Yeah, he could have prevented it, but instead he gave us choice. And so he already made a plan. Knowing that Adam and Eve would sin, he made a plan for them to be able to be rejoined back to him. In Isaiah 14, verses 26 and 27, we read this. This is the plan prepared for the whole earth, and this is the hand stretched out against all the nations. The Lord of hosts himself has planned it, therefore who can stand in its way? It is his hand that is outstretched, so who can turn it back? Now, when the Bible talks about God's hand, it talks about God's power, okay? And so what he's saying is this. He's made a plan, and he's got the power to fulfill it. So who's going to stop it? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody's going to stop it, exactly. It's going to happen, as he said. Isaiah 46, verse 10 and 11, continues with the idea. He says, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place. I will do all my will. I call a bird of prey from the east. I call a man for my purpose from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it. I will also do it. So God plans it, and God makes it happen. God wants something to happen, and he sets up the pieces so that it does happen. So everything that happens in God's plan, who is the one doing it? God is doing it. Yes, he involves people. It says right in this verse. It says that he calls a man for his purpose from a far country. Think about Abraham. Abraham lived over in Ur of the Chaldees. That's over by Babylon. And God calls him and sends him to go to the land that was going to be the promised land, Canaan. God called this man. Whose plan was it? God's. Did Abraham get to participate in God's plan? Yes. Did Abraham get blessed for participating in God's plan? Yes. yes. Whose plan was it though? God. God's. Who made the plan happen? God. God. Who made sure Abraham got to Canaan? God. God. Who made sure Abraham got blessed? God. God. Who took care of Abraham's enemies? God. God. All Abraham had to do was say
1: yes,
0: yes to God. Yeah. That's it. And Proverbs sixteen four. It says, the Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Now, that is an interesting verse. And we really could spend a whole sermon just on this verse. But what I want you to understand is this. That means that everything in the creation, everything in the world, is going to fit into God's plan. Even the people who rebel against God's plan, God will orchestrate that somehow into helping out his plan. I can just give you one really big example. Think about the people that killed Jesus. Was that right or wrong? Wrong. It was wrong. They killed God. But, but, it all played into God's plan. Because what had to happen to Jesus? He He had to die. That's why he came. So someone had to kill him. And Jesus even talked about it. If someone had to betray Jesus, but woe to the man who actually does. So all of it fits in to God's plan and what he's doing. So what is God's purpose? Well, we've looked at Habakkuk 2.14 in the past, and I think it sums it up nicely for us. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. God's purpose is for the whole creation, everyone, everywhere, to know him and to know him personally. Not just know about him, but to know him personally. All through the Bible, we see this idea talked about. God desires for everyone to know intimately Him. Not only does He desire you to know Him, but He desires you to be made alive all through Scripture, ever since Adam and Eve sinned. We also see that God is bringing new life, restoration, and wholeness to His creation. you know that you're born spiritually dead? Until you get the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, they all repeatedly talk about God's plan to renew not some things, all things. Look what Revelation 21.5 says. It says, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making, what's the next word? Everything, what? New. How much is being made new? Everything, Everything is being made new. He said, right, because these words are, look at this, these words are faithful. faithful and true. They're faithful to God's purpose. Ezekiel further provides a record of an awesome visionary experience that the prophet Ezekiel had, showing That God would take the dead and destroyed people and renew them, even bring them back to life. Now listen, let me give you a background, and then I'm going to show you a minute and a half video. It's a great video. And, And here's the deal. God's people have rebelled. They've been taken away. They've been taken out of their country. They've been sent off in exile. Assyrians have taken some. Babylonians have taken some. And the people are wondering, what about God's promises? Is God faithful? And then Ezekiel has this vision. Now, now God told Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, plus some others, but this vision that Ezekiel has is just really cool. And it says that God is going to take the dead and the destroyed and raise them back up and give them new life. Now, as you watch this, I want you to think about what we learned in the New Testament, that God takes a dead person, puts his Holy Spirit in them, and makes them all new. Now, watch this video.
1: The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, Oh, no. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying.
0: in the Bible more than once. That right there is what God does in some aspect to every one of you when you become a follower of Christ. You see, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all talk about this idea that God is going to take our stone hearts and replace it, that God is going to give us His spirit inside of us. Now this has to do with God's people and, and uh, the Israelites, but there is an aspect that in the New Testament this comes to play with you and I. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead bones until the Holy Spirit comes, and he makes you alive, and he makes you new. Stanley? It's like, it's better to watch it instead of Uh, you. Most of the time, yes, and and that's why I show clips like that, so you can actually picture and see it, but the thing is that um, you just have to be careful because... When they make movies, they, they interpret them, right? And so um, the truth is, um, I agree with you mostly, but you've got to realize the movies aren't inspired. So in reality, which one's more important? The Bible. Yeah, the Bible's more important because it's inspired, okay? But um, I absolutely love it, Stanley, when they put stuff like this in the movies. So I just found this clip this past weekend. I was preaching uh, – I was doing a message for a chapel actually at CFCA um, on that passage of Scripture. But it fits in with what we're talking about today. And so I thought that you would enjoy it as well. God is uh, faithful. God is faithful to his plan. Okay? God is faithful to his plan. How is God going to do this that we've just talked about? How is he going to make dead bones come to life? How is he going to resurrect this if you will? Do you know that in a sense if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you know there's a sense where you've already had a resurrection? Think about it. You were dead, you were dead and what happened? He gave you the Holy Spirit, which is like a resurrection. He made you alive, right? Is't that what resurrection is? you're dead and come alive? Well you were dead. but if you're a Christian, you've been come, you came alive in the Holy Spirit. So that is like your first resurrection. All right? And then our bodies will be resurrected when Yeah, when Jesus comes back, all right. So God is faithful to his plan. His, his plan, all right, has to do with how he carries out or accomplishes his purpose. So he's faithful to his person, who he is, his character. He's faithful to what his purpose is, and he's also faithful to his plan. The plan is how he carries out his purpose. Psalm thirty-three, eleven says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The counsel means the plans. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. When you read in scripture passages like this and it seems to say the same thing, But you're like, yeah, but I'm not sure what that word means. It is saying the same thing. And they're using two different words to say the same thing. That's what that is. It's called a synonymous parallelism. All right? Um, Now, when God does this, all right, he's going to do this work. He's going to make his plan happen so that it fulfills his purpose. How does he go about doing this? Now, I want you to watch the video for this week on our our Believe series, showing us exactly what faithfulness looks like in the Bible.
2: During the time that the Israelites lived in exile in Babylon and other countries, God sent many prophets to remind the people of Israel that God would one day rescue them. Then, for 400 years, God did not speak directly to the Israelites. But one day, God sent an angel to a young Jewish girl named Mary who was engaged to a man named Joseph. (gasps) Greetings, the angels. You, who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was troubled by the words of the angel, not knowing what the angel's appearance and words meant. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus would be great, the angel told her and God would give him the throne of his ancestor David, and his kingdom would never end. But Mary was a virgin, so this confused her. The angel told her it would be by God's power that she would become pregnant. So Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. Mary then had to tell her fiancé, Joseph, what had happened. When she told him that she was pregnant, Joseph decided he would quietly end the engagement. But an angel visited Joseph as well, telling him not to be afraid, and that Jesus would save people from their sins. After a few months, Joseph and Mary had to travel to the town of Bethlehem. Because so many other people were in town, there was no place for them to stay. So they slept in a manger. While they were there, Mary gave birth to her son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in the manger. There were shepherds living in the fields nearby. While they were watching their sheep, an angel appeared to them, announcing that a boy had been born in Bethlehem. This boy, said the angel, was the Messiah, the king whom the Israelites had been waiting for. So the shepherds left their sheep and raced to Bethlehem finding Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger. The shepherds praised God for their new king, and Mary, who had faithfully trusted God, treasured every moment in her heart.
0: Now, Mary says that faithfully trusted God, but I want to to ask you something. In that little short video clip... How many times did angels show up? Three times. Three times the angels showed up. Now, here's the key. Okay? I want you to understand something. All right? That when God makes a plan, okay, God's purpose, okay, God's plan, he is going to fulfill it. He will fulfill it. He had the angels show up. Who do angels work for? They work for God, okay? They work for God, so God is making sure that His plan gets fulfilled. All right? Yes, yeah, Stanley. Yes, it is. It's a huge number, all, all through, especially the the Gospels, etc. Um, now, there's more appearances than just those three of the angels, but in this clip, just those three. But three is a big number in Scripture. Yeah? Uh, it's, not just, it's not just related to the Trinity. Uh, three is big even in um, our own culture. For instance, there is um, – how, um, how, many, how many pigs go to market? Three little pigs, right? Um, and um, uh, how, how many bears in the Goldilocks story? And how many chairs? And how many porridges? Three. Okay. How, how many? And um, most of the movie series, th- yeah, three. there's three. It's called a trilogy. Okay. Um, now, I know we've moved beyond that now, but we normally we double it, basically. There's normally like six now. Anyways. But anyways, my point is you bring up the number three. Three is big, not just from the Bible. Like It's easy to remember three. Your Social Security number is broken up into how many parts? Three. 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 Your phone number is broken up into how many parts? Okay, so you see, we even do it, all right? So it's very easy to remember to break stuff up like that, all right? And so you'll find that in Scripture, in Matthew's Gospel, for instance, and not just Matthew's Gospel, but in Matthew's Gospel, he uses three a lot, okay? The genealogies in the beginning of Matthew are broken up into how many parts, you think? Three, okay? Three parts, okay? So, yeah, it's a big deal in Scripture. So God is faithful to his plan. He's going to make sure that it happens, guys, because he has all the power to make sure it happens. So he's going to have Mary. She's not even um, completely fully married, right, yet. And he says, you're going to have a baby. She's like, well, how's that going to happen? Oh, don't worry. i got it covered. Joseph finds out. I'm out of here. Oh, no, I'll make sure he stays. Watch this. Right? Who's to make sure all this happens? God is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 23 says... Though he, Jesus, was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. This is the verse I was talking about earlier. Whose plan was it for Jesus to die? God's. It was God the Father's plan to kill Jesus. Because he had to die so that he could get who? That's right. You guys. So he could get you. How much were you worth? You were worth his son. That's what he had to do to get you. But this is how even evil people are used in God's plan. But if you're the one that actually had Jesus killed, well, shame on you. You're like, well, what do you mean? He had to be killed. Yeah, but shame on you. You shouldn't have killed him, right? You're like, well, that doesn't make any sense, Kevin. Yeah, because there's always people that follow God and people that don't follow God. And so God takes the people that don't follow him, and he uses them in his plan also. Think about that. All right? So, in Acts 223, that's what it says. You can also compare elsewhere in scripture the demons who know who Jesus is, but they don't actually know his his uh, exact plans or timetable. The demons when Jesus shows up they're like, "Are you here to torture us already?" See, they know who he is. They know they're going to be tortured. They just don't know exactly when. It's like a losing fight, right? Yeah, that's all crazy. Now, mayb- maybe they really think, maybe some of them think that they, they won't lose. I don't know. And then they see him show up and like, oh, no. Yeah, I don't know, right? But to some degree, yes, they, I mean, they have to realize, like, he's the creator. Do you really think you can win? Uh, Matthew 8 28, 29. When Jesus had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could uh, pass that way. They blocked their way. Suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, the demons understood who Jesus was, even though the people didn't. Acts, chapter 19, verse 15 says the evil spirit answered i know jesus and i recognize paul but who are you in other words the demons know jesus the ne- demons knew who paul was but they don't know who this person is who will god use so we've looked at the fact that god has a purpose okay he's, he's got a plan what's he got going on how's he going to do it who is he going to use okay so for that god calls out people he chooses people like abraham and david and he's also looking for people who are willing to be fully committed to Read that as what? Faithful. Faithful and loyal. 2 Chronicles 16.9. If you've never seen this verse before, I want you to look at it and really think about it. It says, The eyes of Yahweh run throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely, which means what? Faithfully and loyal, 100%. His. You have been foolish in this matter, therefore you'll have wars from now on. Okay? Now, we're not getting into the whole context of the passage, but obviously, from the last sentence, did the people completely give themselves to God? No, they didn't. But God is looking for people to be completely faithful to him. And when you are, what does he say he's going to do? He's going to show himself strong. When God shows himself strong, what's that mean? That means angels and miracles and power, right? People who refuse to align themselves with God, to be faithful and loyal to him, his person, his purpose, his plan, that's foolishness. But some people, the few, the faithful, they're not foolish. Rather, they they obey God and they even volunteer. Look at Isaiah 6, verse 8. Isaiah is there, and he hears the voice of God saying, who should I send? Who's going to go? And here's what Isaiah says. Here I am. I'll go. Are you saying that to God? We'll come back to that in a minute, but think about it. God sends people, his people, to partner with him in the plan to fulfill his purpose on earth. Fourthly, God is faithful to his people. So there's four things that we're looking at this morning that God is faithful to. He's faithful to his person. He's faithful to his purpose. He's faithful to his plan. He is faithful to his people. God's people has to do with who he involves in his plans to accomplish his purposes. This is the relational aspect of God shining through. Remember way back almost 28 or so weeks ago, we talked about God. We talked about the fact that he is uh, transcendent. He is outside, he's other than us, but he also comes close. He involves himself. Exodus 15:13 says, "You will lead the people you have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength." God will lead his people, and when he leads his people, he not only leads to himself, his scriptures, his son, he also leads to people that he appoints and chooses to be leaders. God's faithfulness, his chesed to his people, is famous. Even Rahab, when she heard the Israelites were coming, she said in in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 and 13, she went up on the roof and she said, I know the Lord has given you this land, and the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God, in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to come, or swear to me by the Lord, you will show kindness to my family, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from this death. What's going on here? Rahab is in Jericho. Cooper and I were just reading this story last night before we went to bed. Rahab is in Jericho, and the Israelites have come, and God has given them the promised land. She's heard all about what happened back in Egypt. Do you realize? You read that sentence in the Bible? That was a long time ago. How long were the Israelites in the wilderness? Forty years. So that means it was at least 40 years ago, right? And Rahab has heard what God did more than 40 years ago. Are we still talking about what God did 40 years ago? Do you know anything that God did 40 years ago? Most of you weren't born. Doesn't mean you can't know something. We don't know how old Rahab was either, right? What is something God did 40 years ago that you know? Think about it. Rahab's people, they at this point were like the enemies of God. They knew what God had done years before. And we're still talking about it and we're afraid. I don't, huh? Because they didn't want to. They rebelled. Now, Rahab didn't, though. There's always the people that choose God, right? And then there's a lot that don't. So, Rahab had heard what God had done. We should be talking about what God's done in the past. Here's what I always say. God's coming through with or without you, so get on board or get destroyed. Now, that sounds kind of harsh. But it's the truth. Because God's plan can't be what? Stopped or destroyed. Okay, It's going to happen. So get on board with his plan or you're just going to get run over by his plan because his plan ain't going to stop. Fast forward to the time of Jesus and we get to Simeon and Anna, the two older saints in the Bible. that We actually talked about them a few weeks ago. Remember Simeon and Anna? How they were in the temple when, when baby Jesus comes in? And God had told Simeon that he wouldn't die until he sees the Messiah, the child. Did God keep his promise? Yeah, what's that called? Faithfulness and loyalty. He matches what he says with what he does. So we've seen what God does. We've seen how he's faithful and is loyal to his person. That's his character. His purposes, his plan, and his people. Now here's what the question is. Okay? What about you? Okay. What about you? Are you faithful? Will you be faithful? And so we had four points related to God, and we have basically the same four points related to you. These won't take quite as long, but this is the application part. This is, okay, we understand how God operates and who God is and what he's doing. What are you going to do about it? You be faithful. We already know God's faithful. You be faithful. That's what God's saying. You be faithful to God's person. You need to be faithful to God's person. okay? To who he is, to his character. As we've already mentioned, that means that your behavior and your beliefs need to match up with who God is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. This is a passage that we've been working our way through for the last several weeks. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness could be there gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now when you stay close to God, His Spirit will make you more like Him. Your person will begin to look more like His. But there's both God's work, which He promises to complete, and your part. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what He does. That's His part. And then there's your work, to listen and obey. That's your choice. When you refuse, you suffer, and other people suffer too. So first things first, be with God to become like God, and then you begin working on being faithful to God's purpose. Right? So, God's person. How do you do do that? You stay close to Him. If you're not in the Word, you're not praying, you're not with God's people, that's not going to be happening, right? Right? Like the fruit in the vine that we talked about every week for the last several weeks, right? You've got to stay connected or the fruit will not produce, right? Stay connected. Be faithful to God's purpose. How do you do this? How do you be faithful to what God is doing and trying to accomplish in the world? So many people want God to just bless what they're doing. Oh, God, bless what I'm doing. That's not how he works. He's already doing something. Get on board with what he's doing and guess what? It'll be blessed because he's already blessing it. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. This is one of those key verses. When I first became a Christian, everybody quoted this all the time. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. What does that mean? That means that you're living your life for who? God. It means that every aspect of your life, you guys on Wednesdays, when I talk with you at the apartments in our Bible study about um, how this pans out in your life at school, the decisions you make at school, that's what this is talking about. Okay, All your ways. You have two choices. Rely on yourself or rely on who? God. If you're going to be faithful to God, you've got to rely on God. This is not a halfway commitment. This is a complete faithfulness, complete loyalty to God and his purpose. Remember, his purpose is to renew and remake all things and reconcile people to himself. So is that what you're about? Are you about renewing people? Okay, so how about when you guys cut each other down? How about when you guys make fun of each other? Is that renewing? Is that rebuilding? Yeah. got real silent all of a sudden. That's not rebuilding or renewing, is it? So are you working with God's purpose at that point? No. No. So watch out because you're about to get run over by the freight train. You right? Are you with me? So we need to change that because all of a sudden what I just showed you is, boom, behavior didn't match up with belief. Got to fix it. They got to be in line. We're saying we're following after Jesus, but our behavior is showing that we're a derailed train. Okay? The train doesn't work unless it's on the what? The tracks, the tracks are God's plans and purpose, right? If you're not on that, you're derailed. Doesn't work. Be faithful to God's plan. His purpose is the renewing of all things, right? Well, what's His plan to get that done? Because this is where we get to the the more nitty gritty, right? Are you actually doing something helping God's plan? Be faithful to how God is accomplishing His purpose in the world. Since it is his purpose that we are considered with um, his purpose, sorry, since it's God's purpose, okay, that we are part of and working with his plan, all right, and his plans are not going to be stopped, it's important that we be on his side. Don't just ask him to bless what you're doing, all right? If we have believers, it's always, you know, I worked in Christian schools for a bunch of years, and it's always humorous to me, ridiculous, honestly, but everybody always wants to pray for God to help them win. Just stop and think about that for a minute. You got one Christian high school playing another Christian high school. They're both praying for God to help them win. Is that possible? Yes. How can they both win? Oh. They can't. So you got Christians over here praying for God to help them win and Christians over here for God praying, praying for God to help them win. Does God really care who wins a football game? No, No, he doesn't. You know what God cares about? If they believe, yes, in in line with our message, right? If they're being faithful and loyal to him, and he cares about his purpose and his plan. So what if, okay, this is going to mess with some of your minds for a second. What if the way for God to make you more like Jesus is make you lose your game? Would he do it? Yep, he would. Why you get mad? Because you get mad, and if you get mad, that means that you're lacking the fruit of the Spirit, which means that you're not yet like Jesus, and God's plan is to make you like Jesus, and God's going to do whatever He needs to do to make you like Jesus. And if that means lose your game, then He's going to make you lose your game. Well, great. I didn't say He's going to have to always make you lose. I just said if He needs to, He can't, right? And if you got two Christian teams playing, someone's got to lose, right? Yeah. So? So, look. so, why
1: would God make it would God, make it God make it
2: basically
0: saying that why... Well, why would God make us lose? Well, I just explained that. Because he needs to make you like Jesus. And he knows what you're lacking inside. See, we don't know. We're blind. God says, hey... This team, this person, maybe it's all for one person on the team. Maybe the whole team needs to learn something. I don't know. I'm not God, right? I'm not saying you're going to lose your, your, your game next week, right? I'm saying, does God do this, though? For sure he does this, right? What did God do with the Israelites when he put them in Babylonian captivity and exile for 70 years? Okay, That wasn't just punishment. They were supposed to learn something, right? For 70 years they were slaves. They were supposed to learn something. If God would put his people that he promised the promised land to, boys, if he would put his people in slavery for 70 years, if he would put his people in exodus in slavery for 400 years, you think he wouldn't make you lose a game? Think about it. All right? His plan. That's what he's about. His plan and his purpose. If his plan and your plan collide, whose plan loses? Yours. Okay? I used to drive a school bus when I was in Missouri. Here's what they always told us. Okay? When you tie with a train, you always lose. You don't win when you and a train collide. Okay? So if you tie, that means you get to the train track at the same time. You don't tie. You what? You lose because the choo-choo train always wins. A train going 55 miles an hour hitting a school bus is like your car rolling over a soda can. That's what it does. You lose. All right? And if, if that's the case with a train and a school bus or your car and a pop can, well, it's even more so with God's plan and your plan. So your plan, that's a little soda can. God, yeah, he's the train. He's coming through, people. We're there without you. Get on board. All right. Let's move on. In John 3.3, all right, we get to uh, Nicodemus, Nick at night, all right? And remember how we saw the dry bones of Ezekiel? See, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's supposed to know the Bible. He's supposed to know about Ezekiel and those dry bones. And Jesus comes to him, and Jesus says this. He says, unless you're born again, you can't be in the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? I'm old man. How do, I, how do I go back inside my mama? That don't even sound cool, right? And Jesus is like, uh, Nick, I thought you were a smart religious guy. I thought you knew the Bible. You don't know about Ezekiel, dry bones? You don't know what Isaiah and Jeremiah said? I come and give you the new birth because you're dead inside. You need the Holy Spirit. See, God's been doing this all along. So Jesus comes along. Yeah, he had to die. But what else did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. What's he trying to tell Nicodemus? You're lost, you need me. What is God's plan to fulfill his purpose? His plan includes us going to people and teaching them about Jesus. You need a second birth. You've all been born once. How do I know that? I see your faces. Your mama birthed you out. But you have not all been born a second time from the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. To make you alive inside. To give you salvation. That's your second birth. Yeah. Mm -mm. Nope. Being born again is the Holy Spirit coming on you. Water baptism won't save you. You can go get baptized 500 times in that water. You go in the Jordan River a million times. That's not going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is the Holy Spirit coming inside of you. What brought those bones in Ezekiel back to life? God's Spirit did. Even after he spoke to the bones and they became all together and they had a body, they were still just sitting there, right? Until what came? The Spirit of God. Go back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and you'll see that the man was already created, but he wasn't alive yet until what came on him? The Spirit of God. That's right. You're dead until you got the Spirit of God. Baptism or no baptism, you got to have the Spirit of God, and it's the Holy Spirit. That's why God does the work. All right. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. What's God's plan? Jesus comes and he says, here is what the plan is. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go and make what? Disciples. So guess what, guys? If you're not making disciples, are you doing God's plan? No. no. If you're not making disciples, which means you're not doing God's plan, that means you're not fulfilling God's purpose, which means you're not in line with the character or person of God. Do you see how all these match? Yeah? Four Ps for today, right? Person, purpose, plan, and we're almost to the people one, right? God's plan includes and involves God's people, and to be faithful to God requires we be faithful and loyal to God's people, the church. Now, God is faithful and He expects His people to be faithful, so how come how come we have a hard time getting people to be faithful, to be loyal? We're more loyal to our sports teams than we are to Jesus. We're more loyal to our sports teams than we are to believers. We're more loyal to all sorts of things. You ain't taking your sports team to heaven with you. You ain't taking your football team to heaven with you. Okay? Guess what, though? If you're a believer, we're going to be in heaven together. So we need to get serious about what God says. What terrible times we have in our churches trying to keep people faithful in attendance and loyalty. Lastly, be faithful to God's people. Be faithful to God's people. Who are God's people? That's right. In the New Testament, we're called Christians and the church. Okay? God's church. Be faithful to God's people. Why? Because God is faithful to his people. Did God make a promise to his people and not fulfill it? No. No. He fulfilled all of them, exactly. And so you should be faithful to God's people also because God is faithful to his people. And who are God's people? Christians. So I'm a believer. That means you should be faithful to me. You should be loyal. we do that? What does that look like as a church? Well, I'm not going to do a whole other sermon. I've done sermons in the past on the church and the importance of the church. If you don't think the church is important, then you don't understand God. If you don't think getting together with God's people is important, you don't understand God. You don't understand His purpose or His plan. Be faithful to the people that God is involving in His plan. The relationships that are helping move God's plan forward. Are you stalling God's plan, or are you helping move it forward? Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 5. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote what? Love and good works. Not staying away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near if you pick up one of our Kirkman brochures, you'll see that it says on it, Fulfilling God's Purpose by Living God's Plan in God's Power. And of course, there's an assumption that we're talking about people, so that would be God's people. Um, I didn't exactly plan it this way, but here's the deal. This lesson actually fleshes out exactly what the Kirkman tagline and motto is. Fulfilling God's Purpose by Living God's Plan in God's Power. That's what all our brochures say. That's what we're all about. That's what we've been about for five years. Guess what? We got that from the Bible because that's what God's about. Let me close by just reviewing three slides with you related to what we looked at this week. Our key question that we were looking at related to faithfulness was why is it important to be loyal and committed to others? But see, that starts with being loyal and committed to who? God. God. And then from there, it trickles out, flows out to others. Our verse, which you'll find verse cards on your table, and we mentioned this in the beginning, is Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know that Yahweh, your God, is God, the faithful God, who keeps His gracious covenant, loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commands. Loyalty, faithfulness. Thus, the key idea for today, being established a good name with God and others based on my loyalty to those relationships. That is what we need to realize. So I don't know where you are today, where your loyalty level is, okay? but we need to realize that faithfulness and loyalty needs to be to God. Our behavior's got to match our beliefs. We've got to be in line with God's character. Okay, God's person, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's people. You got it? God's person, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you're loyal. We thank you that you never lie. that we can trust you. And I pray that you would make us more like that. Do whatever you have to. If that means the hard things, which it's going to. Like sometimes we lose stuff, and sometimes we don't win, and sometimes... We have rough days because you're trying to make us like you. Give us the strength to deal with that, God. But make us like you. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not been loyal to you. We have not been faithful. Something else was more important to us. We know scriptures call that idolatry. But today we want to repent and say we want to be faithful. For those who are here today who might not even have a relationship with you, God, oh, God, might you speak to them today. Might you, like you did to the dry bones, give them new life and put your spirit inside of them. Might they realize that the only way to have their sins forgiven is for you to take them away. The only way for them to have new life is for your spirit to come inside of them. And that you would be loving and gracious and do just that if they would ask you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.